to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. We're involved in a study of the Russian invasion of Israel as it's prophesied by Ezekiel in the 38th and 39th chapters of his book. I call this study World War III in Prophecy. Let's open today's study by reading the first ten verses of Ezekiel chapter 39. Therefore, thou son of man, prophesy against Gog, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back, and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel, and I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, and I will send a fire upon Magog, and among them that deal that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers and the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoil them, and rob those that rob them, saith the Lord God. No doubt when the Russian leader, Gog, orders his armies to march on the land of Palestine in the last days, he will believe that he himself has laid his plans very definitely for the complete subjugation of God's people. He will be counting on an easy victory because of the overwhelming number of men at his disposal. But God's message to him makes it clear that God himself is to use Gog's action as an object lesson for all the nations of the earth. He who goes against God's people must be defeated. He who is Israel's champion will undertake to deliver his people by destroying this mighty horde. This is the content of the continuing message. And I will turn thee around and leave but the sixth part of thee, and will cause thee to come up from the uttermost parts of the north, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. The Almighty himself has placed hooks in the jaws of this mighty war machine. The Lord God is to turn the army and is to give its invading force her direction. It's God's intent to cause five-sixths of the invading army to lose their lives as a result of this enterprise. God is to use the greed and malice present within the heart of the Prince of Russia to bring this great invading force down upon the mountains of Israel so that the purpose of this destruction can be carried out. The supernatural actions of God himself are to result in the essential disarmament of Gog's invading force. I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. The modern-day bow is the missile launcher. The modern-day arrows are the missiles themselves. God's initial actions against the invading army will take from them their ability to launch high-explosive and nuclear-tip projectiles against the targets within the land of Israel. Because of the tremendous number of men 
who are to meet their doom upon the mountains of Israel, burial will not be the order of the day. However, God has preordained a solution to the problem of disposing of the many dead bodies. God will have prepared a great multitude of carrion-eating birds and beasts. The bodies of Gog and of many of his followers will be devoured by these living janitors of the earth. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beast of the field to be devoured. The Lord God seems to be speaking to Gog, the prince of Russia, personally in verse 5. The doom of the perpetrator of this great invasion is to come in an open field that is a part of the area previously designated as the mountains of Israel. God has emphasized this part of his message. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. After the death of Gog himself, the nation over which he ruled is also to be destroyed. When five-sixths of God's great army is destroyed through supernatural means by God himself, then an attack will be launched upon the national territories of Russia and her allies. The wording of verse 6 seems to indicate that those Western nations standing in opposition to the Russian communist bloc will observe the destruction of this great army of the Northern Confederacy. This will be the signal for those Western powers to launch an all-out nuclear attack on the mainland territories that were once the sources of origin of this great military force. And I will send a fire on Magog, Russia, and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. The isles referred to are the coastland and islands of the Mediterranean. Specific nations of the northern confederacy such as Togarma, Turkey, are preordained to undergo this nuclear destruction spoken of in the reference to the fire that is to be sent upon Magog. God not only has stated his purpose for the great carnage and destruction that's to result from the Russian invasion of Israel, but he has identified himself as Israel's Messiah in verses 6 and 7. It is Jesus Christ, God incarnate, God the Son, who is delivering this message through the prophet Ezekiel. They shall know that I am the Lord, so will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen, the Gentiles, shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. The Holy One in Israel is Messiah. He's the God of the Old Testament. He's the I Am of the burning bush. He's the word of prophecy who spoke through the prophets of Israel. And he's the one who's speaking through Ezekiel in this great prophetic message to Gog. Behold, it is come, and it is done, saith the Lord God. This is the day whereof I have spoken. The leaders of Russia and of the communist bloc allies may ignore this message from God today. However, this does not make the slightest difference in the final fulfillment of the judgment. When that day arrives, when the opening three years of the tribulation are upon the world, then World War III will come. This is the day whereof I have spoken. The destruction of the invading army and of the nations that launched that army is complete. Israel was not obliged to defend themselves, for the Lord acted for them. Those who were the intended victims are now the victors. Those who were to be taken as a spoil are now the spoilers. And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years, so that they shall take no wood out of the field, 
neither cut down any out of the forest. For they shall burn the weapons with fire, and they shall spoil those that spoil them, and rob those that rob them, saith the Lord God. Israel will use the weapons of the invaders for fuel. Some have thought it strange in this modern age of metallic warfare that such a prophecy ever could be fulfilled literally. As strange as it may seem, it is known today that Russia has built weapons of a very hard and strong wood product processed from the forests of that land. This new wood product has been used to construct tanks and armored vehicles. This wood replaces metallic armor plate. Even guns and missile launchers themselves have been built by the Russians from processed wood. In this modern day, Ezekiel's prediction concerning burnable weapons does not seem so remote. Wooden weapons are not without their range of use. The hand staves mentioned are those with which animals were usually driven. In this prophecy, the expression refers to some weapon of war. The additional items listed are definitely weapons, and although these weapons are the kind that were in use in Ezekiel's day, the vocabulary used could also describe more modern weapons. All of the major weapons seem to be made of a material that can be burned. In a day of energy shortage, the discarded weapons are to serve a very useful purpose for Gog's intended victims. This material will fuel the cooking and heating fires of Israel. They shall burn them with fire seven years. Although the number seven expresses completeness, it is probably intended here as a literal statement of the time interval over which the fuel will be useful. Some have felt that this expression precludes the fulfillment of this prophecy during the seven-year tribulation period. A seven-year interval of time measured from the date of, God's, of Gog's destruction would then extend into the early years of the Lord's millennial kingdom. There's really nothing wrong with this implication. It's possible that the vast spoil of fuel furnished by Gog's armies will still be in use during those early years of the Lord's reign upon the earth. The long duration of the time interval over which this fuel will be burned emphasizes the vastness of the numbers of weapons that will be brought upon the mountains of Israel by the invading force. Israel will be able to implement a most useful energy conservation program as a result of the intended invasion. God has seen to it that there is to be no fuel shortage in his chosen land. The enemies of his people have delivered fuel to continue the economy of the people. It will not be necessary for them to take wood from the growing forests of that northern section of their national territory. These forests can be allowed to grow and to replenish themselves. The wood growth can be preserved, and the forests can grow into a verdant coverage of that land during the time of the Lord's reign. What a turning of tables God has done upon the enemies of his people. The plunderers will be plundered, and the robbers will be robbed exactly what Gog's great army had intended for Israel will be visited upon them. I see that once again my time is almost gone. We'll continue our study of Ezekiel's record of World War III in prophecy on the next broadcast. Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. Today we'll continue our study of World War III in prophecy as it's recorded by Ezekiel in the 38th and 39th chapters of his book.
Let's read Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 11 through 16. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers, and there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude. And they shall call it the valley of Hamon Gog. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them, that they may cleanse the land. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown. The day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. And they shall sever out men of continual employment, passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. After the end of seven months shall they search. And the passengers that pass through the land, when the any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamongog. And also the name of the city shall be Hamona. Thus shall they cleanse the land. It was his greed for the earthly wealth of God's chosen people that brought Gog and his invading armies into the land of Israel. It was his intent to take a spoil, to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil. But God turned the tables. Instead of taking a spoil, Gog himself was spoiled. They, Israel, shall spoil those that spoil them and rob those that rob them. Gog had intended to take all that belonged to Israel. Instead, he gave up all that he had, including his life. However, Gog's invasion of Israel will win for him one everlasting earthly possession. He is to be granted a burying ground for himself and for those of his invading army who died with him. He will own one small portion of Israeli real estate. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel. Gog came to take a spoil, and the spoil granted to him was his own gravesite. The piece of real estate that he won by his great military effort is to forever bear his name. It's to be called the Valley of Hamon Gog, that is, the Valley of the Multitude of Gog. Death will come so suddenly to that great multitude that there will be no opportunity to bury their own dead. The mortal blow will come as though it were in a moment. The dead bodies of the soldiers of the invading army will be strewn everywhere in the Valley of Hamon Gog. The place of the location of the valley of Hamon Gog is designated by Ezekiel's use of the words on the east, literally, in the front of the sea. The sea in view is the Dead Sea. Gog's burying place is to the east of the Dead Sea. The valley of Hamon Gog will be so clogged with the corpses of Gog's soldiers that the way will be impassable for strangers. The word passengers, used several times in this passage, refers to those travelers who are passing through the land. These decaying corpses will poison the very air, and it shall stop the noses of the passengers. They would be a source of grievous pestilence to the whole land if steps were not taken immediately to properly bury these corpses. Therefore, a great squad of gravediggers will be formed. The business of this burial squad will be to go throughout the entire section where Gog's army has been destroyed and bury the bodies in order to cleanse the land. For seven months, this work will continue before the last bodies will have been covered from human sight. This is an additional fact that emphasizes the vast proportions of this great military catastrophe.
The occupation of burying Gog's dead will, to an extent, engage the entire nation of Israel. This will be only a part-time occupation for many of the citizens. However, there will be a full-time interment squad, and they shall sever out men of continual employment. That is, the authorities of Israel will detach a squad of men from their regular occupations and will assign this squad to the full-time task of burying Gog's dead. They are to go into the valley of Hamon Gog and enter each corpse as they come to it. They are given authority to draft the services of those who are simply passing through the area to help them with this momentous task. The interment squad is to pass throughout the land to bury with the passengers, those passing through the land, those that remain upon the face of the earth to cleanse it. The full-time burial squad will continue their task for the entire seven months. After the end of seven months shall they search. Even beyond the seven-month burial period, there will still be some corpses that have not been covered by the earth. Those passing through the polluted area will be charged by law to look for these unburied corpses. When a body is found, the one who finds it is to set up a marker to mark the spot. Some barriers will still be occupied with the job of burying even beyond the specified seven-month period. These barriers will look for the markers set up by the passers-through, and they will bury the human remains that are so marked. And the passengers that pass through the land, when any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. In this way the land will be cleansed from its defilement, and the air will be purified. Gog will not go without his earthly reward. A memorial of the disaster of World War III will be left. This memorial will be preserved in the name of a city. This name will remind vast multitudes of the future of the tragedy of God's dis Gog's destruction. The city is to be called Hamona. This name simply means multitude. This city will stand throughout the duration of Earth's history as a reminder of the folly of opposing the God of Israel. Even in the days of the millennial reign of Messiah will Hamona stand as a monument to the folly that was here brought to an end. Ezekiel continues his message with these words, And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, Speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that ye may eat the flesh and drink blood. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. The message of the previous verses of this prophecy was given by God through his prophet Ezekiel to the Russian prince Gog. But beginning with verse 17, God is no longer speaking to Gog. God's message is now addressed not to men, but to the animals of the lower creation. And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Here we learn that the burial crews are to have some assistance in clearing the mountains of Israel of the human carrion. The birds and beasts that feed upon carrion are to assist in the work of clearing away the rotting corpses. 
God will have previously prepared the bird and animal population of that land to assist the Israeli burial crews with the task of cleaning the valley of Hamon Gog. God will have increased the population of both the scavengers of the air and of the field so that these members of the lower creation will be ready for the task assigned to them. The increased prosperity of the nation Israel, especially the increased food production of the northeastern fields of that land, will have encouraged an increase in the population of all kinds of wildlife. It's most likely that God will also have miraculously increased the ability of certain species of carrion-eating birds and animals to produce a greater quantity of offspring. God speaks of his slaying of the multitude of Gog as though this were his sacrifice to the animals of the field. Men have been slain. Their blood has been poured out upon the ground. God sends a message to the carrion-eating fowls and animals to assemble themselves to partake of the bodies and blood of the slain soldiers. God has drawn a parallel to the animal sacrifices that were made on behalf of men during those days when God made his presence known in the tabernacle and in the temple of Israel. In those days, men received symbolic cleansing from the poured out blood of the clean animals which were sacrificed upon the altar of burnt offering. Men partook of the flesh of these clean sacrificial animals as a symbol of the spiritual nourishment that God provides for those who are his redeemed ones. The shed blood of these animals pointed to the shed blood of Messiah, which was to be poured out for the redemption of many. The flesh of the animals represented his broken body that was to provide the spiritual food for the sustenance of the spiritual life produced by the medium of his cleansing blood. However, in God's message to the feathered fowl and to the beast of the field, we see the tables turned. These unclean animals are to partake of a sacrifice of men offered not by themselves, but by God. Gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you. Unclean beasts are to partake of unclean men. God is about to cleanse the earth for the millennial reign of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, through his sins, is responsible for the pollution of the earth. It was Adam's sin that brought God's curse upon the earthly creation. Cursed is the ground, cursed is the earth for thy sake, according to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. The animals of the lower creation never sinned. Their pollution is the result of man's sin. In his cleansing of the polluted earth, it's appropriate that God himself offer a sacrifice of men for the cleansing of the animal dominion. From God's viewpoint, such a sacrifice is made in the slaying of the multitude of Gog. I see that my time is almost gone for today. We'll continue with our study of World War III and prophecy on the next broadcast. Tuning in to today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. It's so good to greet you once again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. We're involved in a study of World War III and prophecy as this great conflict is pictured by Ezekiel in chapters 38 and 39 of his book. We were considering the great feast of the birds and the beasts that God will provide as he permits these carrion-eating members of the lower creation to help in the cleansing of the field of Hamon Gog, that area east of the Dead Sea where Gog and his Russian army is to meet his doom. Speaking to the birds and beasts, the Lord says, Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty, and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of goats, of bullocks, all of them fatlings of Bashan. The animals mentioned are figurative of the different ranks and callings of the slain men. 
Here in Ezekiel 39 and verse 18, the actual or literal passes over into the figurative with the reference to princes, then rams. The land of Bashan, an area east of the Jordan, was famous for its fine pastures and well-fed cattle. According to the law as given through Moses, the fat and blood of animals, considered the most holy portions, were offered to God. These parts were not allowed to be consumed by the worshipers. However, God's message to the birds and beasts indicates that he is to allow even these parts of his sacrifice of the slain men to be consumed by the animals. This fact provides increased insight into God's purpose for allowing this extensive conflict and slaughter to take place. God's great purpose of this object lesson for both the Gentile nations and Israel is emphasized in the concluding verses of Ezekiel's prophecy. The great magnitude of the slaughter and carnage that's to take place upon the mountains of Israel is brought out in verses 19 and 20. The quantity of provision for this bizarre and unusual feast will be more than ample. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full, and drink blood till ye be drunken, of my sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. God refers to the sacrificial feast as my table because it is the Lord himself who will hold this feast. The words of Ezekiel's prophecy continue in chapter 39, verses 21 through 24. And I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. And the heathen shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity, because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword, according to their uncleanness, and according to their transgressions, have I done unto them, and hid my face from them. God's message to the birds and beasts ended with the closing of verse 20. The signature of the God of heaven was placed upon this message to the denizens of the lower creation when the passage was brought to a close with the words, saith the Lord God. As the Lord God continued to speak the words of this prophecy, he addressed his prophet Ezekiel. The remainder of God's message is given to show his purpose in bringing about the invasion of the northern confederacy and his judgment upon the forces of Gog. Jehovah's glory is to be manifested among the heathen nations when they see the judgment that's to be executed upon Gog. There is no possibility that the hand of God can be overlooked in this mighty display of his power. The defeat of Gog and his invading army was brought about by supernatural means. Military action by the coalition of western nations did not take place until after God, Gog's army was defeated. Then that military action was directed toward the destruction of those nations from which the invading forces originated. The fact that the supernatural power of the God of heaven has been used to protect his chosen people Israel cannot be ignored in any part of the populated earth. God has used this great military conflict to present to the world the greatest object lesson that it has ever experienced. And I will set my glory, my kabod, among the heathen, goyim, and all the heathen, goyim, shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. The Hebrew word kabod can be translated as weight, heaviness, or honor. 
It's God's authority and his ability to rule over the affairs of the earth that's in view in this word. In modern vernacular, it's God's clout that is to be set among the goyim. This Hebrew word refers to all the non-Jewish people of the earth. God's action against Gog has been proclaimed as a judgment, and this judgment was executed in the sight of all the peoples of the earth. The heavy hand of God has been laid upon a major portion of the earth's population, and this intervention of God in the affairs of man is only a precursor to the much more extensive judgment that is to come in the near future. Not only the nations, but the house of Israel too, will recognize then that Jehovah their God had intervened on Israel's behalf. They will turn to him as in the days of their fathers when he brought them out of Egypt. The remnant of that nation will turn to him and there will be no further turning away. They will follow him throughout the continuing judgments of the latter years, the tribulation, and also into the glorious millennial kingdom that's to follow the return of Messiah. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day and forward. As a result of this great object lesson of God, the nations will understand then that all the sufferings that the house of Israel has endured through the many centuries of its captivity and scattering among the Gentiles was because of that nation's iniquities. And the heathen, the goyim, shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they trespassed against me. Therefore hid I my face from them, and gave them into the hand of their enemies. So fell they all by the sword. The chosen people had trespassed against God in rejecting their Messiah and in crucifying the Lord of glory. Therefore he had fulfilled his prophecy against them. According to their uncleanness and according to their transgressions have I done unto them and hid my face from them. It had been because of the uncleanness of this people and because of their manifold transgressions against him that God refused to intervene for them. Rather, he had turned his face away when they cried to him. But in those days of the latter years, all this is to be brought to an end. Messiah had come to his people Israel in the fullness of time to bring salvation to his people and to bring in the righteous reign upon the earth promised to that chosen people. But Israel loved their sins more than they loved God. They rejected that one who had come to them. We hear his words concerning this through the pen of Hosea in chapter 5, verse 15 of his prophecy. I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction they will seek me early. It's in the early years of their affliction that Gog and his hordes are to be brought from the uttermost parts of the earth. The invasion of Gog from Magog is to be assigned to the chosen people that God is fighting on their side. We're given the results of this sign in the continuing words from the pen of Hosea. In chapter 6 and verse 1, we hear the words of those who have observed this great sign. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. In that coming day, God will no longer have turned his face away. All that intervening time will be at an end. They, his chosen people, will turn back to him in repentance. He will then turn his face upon them in blessing. All this the nations will know through the object lesson of the third great world war. 
But this is not to bring repentance among those political powers of the last days. The invasion of Gog from Magog and his defeat by the power of God is to result in those continued judgments recorded in Revelation chapter 6 and verses 5 through 8. The nations will recognize God's power, but they will refuse to subordinate themselves to it. The attitude of individuals toward God's great object lesson of World War III is seen in the words of Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 through 17. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondsman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Yes, the nations shall know. Once again, I see that my time is almost gone. We'll conclude our study of World War III in prophecy on the next broadcast. I'm so glad of this opportunity to come into your home with today's broadcast of the Independent Faith Ministry of the Bible Stands. Today we come to the end of our study of Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39. This is a study that I call World War III in Prophecy. Let's read the concluding words of this prophecy as they're found in Ezekiel chapter 39 verses 25 through 29. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob, and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and will be jealous for my holy name. After that they have borne their shame, and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me, when they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people, and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land, and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my Spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. In the closing verses of this prophecy that has given us the details of the coming Russian invasion of Israel, the Lord God once again assures us that Ezekiel's message is from him. God is no longer addressing Gog, the prince of Russia. He's no longer addressing the carrion-eating birds and beasts of the valley of Hamon Gog. Now he's speaking through his prophet to those who will heed his word. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God. God's words of verse 25 make it quite clear that the full return of the captivity of, of Jacob will be after the onslaught and the defeat of Gog and his hosts. The events prophesied in these two chapters will take place during the time of the tribulation, during Daniel's 70th week, and before the manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The word now places the things that are said in these closing verses subsequent to the invasion and judgment of Gog and his invading army. Now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. After the destruction of the great northern confederacy, God will be prepared to bring a rapid end to the many years of suffering of his chosen people. 
For the Jews require a sign. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. God will have provided a sign for his people in the supernatural defeat of the invading armies. Israel will have seen God's great sign, and the faithful of that nation will at last recognize the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll recognize in that one whom they have pierced their Lord, their God, and their King. The subsequent events of the Great Tribulation will further God's purpose for bringing an end to the great church-age dispersion of this people. God will bring again the captivity of Jacob. Jacob refers to the house of Israel in their unconverted state. God is to bring the sons of Abraham out of their captivity in the many Gentile nations of the earth. That this does not refer to the return from the Babylonian captivity is emphasized by the word, Now I will bring again. The way has been paved for God to continue those end-time events that are to result in the bringing in of Messiah's wonderful millennial reign. When God states that he will have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, he points out that all previous restorations were partial. Now a universal and final restoration will take place. It was God who allowed his chosen people to go into captivity. It's God who will see that they are regathered. It's God who will ensure that not one of them is left out of the land. After the great object lesson of World War III, God will be jealous for my holy name. It's the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, Jehovah my Savior, the Anointed One that's in view. Messiah will be recognized in the hearts of his people. God will see to it that that name is lifted to the highest pinnacle of holiness in the hearts of his reclaimed people. Through God's judgment upon Gog, Israel will understand the reason for their suffering throughout the centuries. They'll return in repentance to the God against whom they have sinned. God, in his infinite grace, will forgive their iniquities and restore them to himself. God will have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and he will be jealous for his holy name, after that they, the house of Israel, have borne their shame and all their trespasses, whereby they do trespass against me, when they dwelt safely in their land, and none made them afraid. It's the three and one-half years of the great tribulation still to come upon the world that the Lord God brings to the front here. The invasion of Gog came early in the seven-year tribulation period, early in the 70th week of Daniel. During the latter part of that period, Israel is still suffering greatly at the hand of the Western ruler, the political dictator of the world. World War IV, in prophecy, the campaign of Armageddon is still to come. As the great battle of that campaign rages in and around Jerusalem, Yeshua HaMashiach is to return to his people. He will come with the armies of heaven to stand upon the Mount of Olives. That return of the Messiah of Israel will finally bring an end to the suffering of that chosen people. The promised kingdom will then be established. It's the campaign of Armageddon that's to bring to a conclusion those prophesied 70 weeks of time that were determined upon the people of Israel. The prophet Daniel, who was a contemporary of Ezekiel, spoke of these 70 weeks and of the things that God was to accomplish at the end of this time period as he recorded Gabriel's message that came to him in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. Here are Daniel's words as they're found in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 24. 
Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. The six things mentioned in this verse will be completed through the final suffering that's to come upon the house of Israel. The specific shame and trespasses in view in verse 26 of Ezekiel's prophecy were committed during those days preceding the invasion of Gog when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. The brief period of continued suffering must come upon the reclaimed people. But out of this will proceed the great blessings of God that are mentioned in these closing verses of prophecy. When God shall complete the final regathering of Israel back from the peoples, that is, from the Gentiles among whom they have been scattered for so long, and gather them out of their enemies' lands, and be sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that Jehovah is indeed their God. Jehovah is to be revealed in that day in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who caused them to go into the dispersion of this present age. He's the one who will regather them. He will leave not one of his people to wander longer among the nations. Neither will he continue to hide his face from them. He will look upon them in infinite grace and loving kindness. It's the rejected Christ himself who speaks these closing words of the prophecy. Then shall they know that I am the Lord their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the nations, among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them, for I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord, the, the Lord God. God will then pour out his spirit upon the house of Israel and acknowledge them once more as his own. The prophet Joel spoke of the coming of World War III in prophecy in chapter 2, verses 15 through 20 of his book. Joel also spoke of the results of this invasion and the effects that these results will have upon the final restoration of the children of Israel. He prophesied of God's pouring out of his spirit during the days of the millennial kingdom. The great fulfillment of Joel's prophecy is now to come. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord God. God speaks of this pouring out of his spirit as though it's an accomplished fact. Yet his message was given at least 2,600 years before the actual fulfillment of that which is prophesied, that of which God speaks, will surely come to pass. There is to be a third great world war. Russia and her allies are to invade Israel. The Lord God, Jesus of Nazareth, is to use his supernatural destruction of the invading armies as the one great object lesson for his people. He will show them that he is looking to them in grace, that he's fighting on their side, and that he is the one who will offer them final forgiveness and final deliverance. Through this soon coming invasion of the latter years, Israel shall know. Once again, my time is almost gone. It's been a great blessing for me to bring you this series of messages on World War III in prophecy. I'll return on the next broadcast with another series of messages from God's Word.